Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Oh, well, Cassandra and I are feeling a little alone. All the green goddesses have gone home. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Back to England and South Africa and points west and south and east and north. Yeah, wow, that's quite some distance to be traveling. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful group. Their goddess pageant was divine. And their power shields were powerful, and really, every year I'm just amazed <clears throat> at Yvette's <clears throat> excuse me, at Yvette's skill 
in taking people who may never have painted before and giving them the skills in just a few hours to create a gorgeous mandala power shield for themselves. Hmm. And we walked to the river, and the heron came to visit us. And all like that. And now it's back to the book. Back to the book. Yeah. Back to the book. <laughs> I got, I got to a, spend some time with. Oh, go ahead. I got a copy of uh, Step Six from an MD. So I, I had a free bit of time this afternoon. I was able to go in and. Of course, you know, she caught some things that nobody else had caught. Everyone does. It's quite wonderful. Mm-hmm. I was going to say I got to spend... Oh, yeah, I got to spend some time this uh, weekend with um, Max Dashu and Vajrama and a bunch of other women, but they were the oh, headliners wow. of the Red in Portland, and that was really, I'm still kind of coming down from it. I was like, wow, it just, like, totally zapped me to come back, and then it was my son's birthday yesterday, but it was quite <laughs> the event. They they wanted, everybody wanted to, uh, to say hello to you. Vajrama was, made sure to uh, say hello. Oh, so. how wonderful. Yeah, mm. yeah, their work really powerful and um, a really great group of women up there. They sure are. Hopefully, I'll be seeing both of them at God of Spirit Rising in Simi Valley, California in September. And mm-hmm. in um, a couple of weeks, I'll be heading out to the Seattle area. Oh, yeah, the Whidbey Island. The Whidbey Island um, Botanicals on the Beach, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right on. So even even more need to focus in on the book right now and get that those last corrections in. Yeah. Summertime seems so busy. It's so fleeting. <laughs> and there's already <laughs> leaves turning color. Mm-hmm. It is now past Lamas, and Lamas is the official beginning of fall. Yes. The first time we can definitely and the grain is coming in. Mhm. Well, we do have a wonderful guest coming on this evening, uh Lisha Berry. Are you familiar with her work, Susan? No, I'm not familiar. With her work, I know that she is a speaker on utilizing the whole brain state to access ancestral memory. And that was one of the things that um, I was doing with the Green Goddesses was accessing ancestral memory. So I'm quite interested in that. And I also know that she has a Daughters of the Earth Project and a Women's Leadership Institute. She'll be with us at 9 o'clock. So stay tuned or come on back so that you can hear Leisha Berry. Hmm. Can I ask uh, what what are some of the ways you do that, the accessing the whole brain with ancestral memory? 
through dream states. Okay. So I tell so you, the women when they apply to come to be a green goddess that they are expected to work 26 hours a day when they're here. Mm-hmm. And that includes dream assignments. Mm-hmm. And so I meet them at certain places and then there are portals, there are initiations, there are connections, there are a variety of things that we can do in that state that people often have barriers up to when they're in fully conscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when I, I came there, I remember the dream, the all the dreaming that I was doing, and even after I left, and uh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mhm. And how powerful that was and also with uh, another one another woman that I did some some spiritual work with too. It's like leading up to it, it's like weeks of dream work already taking place before, you know, the actual like physical in person uh work began. And yeah, I I love that and I think that, you know, it's a really powerful and yeah, accessing the whole brain, so well, yeah, it would be interesting to hear what they have to say. It's rather fascinating to me because I just kind of went over that part because it's pretty meaningless to me. Every part of your brain mm-hmm. is used all the time. Mm-hmm. There, uh, there isn't any way you can't use your whole brain. You don't think people kind of compartmentalize things and, like, not, like, fully accessing, you know, certain states, like – just from, like, conditioning and, you know, like, having to, like, kind of turn certain parts of ourselves off, like, say, when we're doing, like, computer work, I mean, or something like your that. Your personality, you know? like, that's not, not like, your brain. Fully engaged. Okay. You do not live in your brain. In fact, it takes mm-hmm. more of your brain to do that than it does to not do that, Right. That's true. I never thought of it like that. <clears throat> so mm-hmm. we think of, a, you know, an animal which hasn't been toilet trained, so it voids whenever it wants to. It doesn't have to use any of its brain thinking, do I have to go? Where's the closest toilet? Should I say something now? Do I have right? Mm-hmm. Just think about all the things that are going on in your brain all the time just because you're a domesticated animal. Yeah. And when like Jean Houston was training us to do multiple things at once, because she said there's so much to do. If you can't do multiple things at once, don't even bother. And then she said the idea that you can't do two things at once is obviously untrue. If you couldn't do two things at once, no one could drive a car. Yeah, I always like that that phrase you used to say is like cooking on all burners. You know, you're all right. <laughs> you're at you're. You're driving the car, you're using your eyes, you're looking at the road. You're also using your eyes Mm -hmm. to look in mirrors and translate Mm -hmm. that in your mind. You're using your hands and your arms to steer the car. You have your feet down there on the pedals. You might be turning on the radio and listening to the radio. You also might be listening to road noises, and you're probably listening to the noise of the car. 
How many things do we just say right now that you're doing all simultaneously? Right. Hmm. So Good that point. was okay. That was her goal was <laughs> to train us to understand that we, while we do use all of our brain at once, we can also maximize that by using various areas simultaneously, which I think is more what you're getting at. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For instance, they did experiments uh, to try to find out where is memory in the brain. And they would train rats to run in mazes, and then they would cut out parts of their brain to see if they could cut out the part that knew how to run the maze. And they could never find one part of the brain that has to do with memory. turns out that memory is located in very many different parts of the brain. Those different parts have to coordinate to bring the memory back to you. There is literally no memory actually stored in the brain. Huh. Interesting. Kind of if like a, any, a hollow. Is part that's more important than the other parts, it's the part that knows where you are, your locator. And it's one of the reasons why it's so easy to forget something when you walk through a doorway. Mm-hmm. And the studies that they have mm-hmm. done, to sh- done to show that walking through a doorway wipes your short-term memory are hysterical. Hmm. I mean, we've all experienced it, walking in the next room and going, what am I in here for? Right. It happens to me all the time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. You know, and the older you get, the more you think that you're, it's old age and you're senile. But, you know, I say to those old people, I say, no, nah, I see it happen to, to 20-year-olds. No, it happens to everybody. And so they, they hmm. made like a, a house to experiment with people and memory. And they had them actually walk through, you know, open a door and walk through the door and close the door. And, yeah, sure, you you know, totally forget. But they also had them just walk through, like, where a door would be and where a wall would be. So it was just, like, framed out and the wall wasn't put up and there wasn't actually a door there. And the same thing happened. Hmm. Very interesting. And the people who have, like... (laughs) really good memories, uh, don't have any better memory than anybody else. They simply know that the part of the brain that remembers is the part that locates you. And so they use a technique called the mansion or the castle. People who, you know, there's a contest every year for who can say by memory the most numbers of pi. Pi is, you know, an irrational number. It never ends. And there's competitions of who can say the most numbers of pi. And the way they do it is that you take the first ten numbers, for instance, and you put them in the house. You might have them sitting on a blue couch. And you go over to that blue couch, and there's those numbers, and you say them and then you turn and over there in that brown leather armchair another 10 numbers and you go over there and you say them and you can work your way room by room through the house 
having put things to remember there and simply retrieving them when you get there. Mm-hmm. I'll have to remember that <laughs> when I, if I have to take a test. Or something. <laughs> well, it's like the menopause, the woman who said to me, they told me that I should keep, you know, a, a list of things because I was always forgetting things, but darned if I can ever remember where I put the list. <laughs> um, do we have any callers tonight? Yeah, we have quite a few callers. It looks like if you have a question for Susan, make sure to press 1 to put your call in the queue. And our first caller is coming from the 818 area code. Hi, Susan. Hello. Good evening, ladies. So I have just two questions. They should be quick. One is chronic. Okay, just so you know, I've been doing nourishing herbal infusions for five years. Absolutely wonderful. Great. I have chronic red eyes. Um I think because I've been using Visine too much, and I think I heard something three years ago about putting castor oil drops in my eyes. Oh, please don't do that. That's a very bad idea. This is why I'm calling you. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I had cataracts, so I have crystal lenses in there. So that's why I'm calling, because... I don't want to do the wrong thing and like put castor oil there, and then the lenses come out or something. They're they're they they shouldn't come out. They're, they've been fine for years and years and years. But how? You had cataract surgery, and they gave you new lenses. Yes, yes, and it's wonderful. It's the best thing I ever did. That's what my mother said too. And people say to me, "Oh, you know, I'm considering cataract surgery." I say, "The only regret that I've ever heard from." Anybody is that they waited. I waited, and I could hardly get to work at 4 a.m. in the morning because I couldn't see. And um, no, it, it's so precision now, and the lenses are made from Switzerland, and they give you a serial number of your lens. It's, it, I don't, I think that was like seven or eight years ago, and uh, it's just amazing. It's amazing. But what I don't want to do is do anything wrong to those lenses. But my eyes are always red every day. And that could be from a number of things, but I was just wondering herbally, what is a good thing? When you say your eyes are red, do you mean the white part of your eye around your iris is red? Or do you mean that your eyelid is red? I'm not really sure. No, the corners corners of the white white part of my eye, like the left and the the corners. Just the corners, not the whole white part. Correct, just the, the corners, but it doesn't look like super red. It's just enough to where I look like I'm smoking pot. Well, if generally, if someone is smoking cannabis, the capillaries dilate in the mm-hmm. white part of the eye, not just at the corners. And so the entire white part of the eye looks flushed and red. That's why I'm okay, asking not, what's actually going on. Okay, it's not – it got worse when I had an edible, and then I can, now I can't get rid of it. Yeah, it's kind of the whole white part. Uh, Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, more and more hospitals are reporting all kinds of really nasty things happening from the edibles. I suggest that people stay away from them entirely. Okay. I think that's what brought, brought, I've always had a little bit of red eye, but not like this. And now, you know, it's like to the point where it feels like it hurts and 
and the, and I haven't had the edibles for four days now, but the red eye won't go away. So maybe there's a lesson for everybody and me. Traditionally, one of the things that's used to clear the eyes is cucumber. <gasps> okay. And you simply slice a cucumber thinly. You can leave the skin on mm-hmm. and put several thinly sliced slices of cucumber on your closed eyelids and lie there for five or ten minutes. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think of that. Okay. People use herbs like chamomile mm-hmm. and chickweed made as teas to rinse the eyes. And put it in my eyes. Those well-strained tea, anything that has a water base can go in your eye. But okay. you don't want to put a tincture or an oil in your eye. Or no needless oil. to say, you don't want to put vinegar in your eye. So you don't want to put the Bosch and Lom mineral oil drops in your eyes. I'm not commenting on any particular product. Oh, I don't okay. know that product. I can't make any any. There's nothing I can okay. say. So let's it, just it, go with no oils. Chickweed tea, real well strained. Okay. Good. What I'm talking about is remedies and, that you can make yourself, not things to buy. Yes, wonderful. Okay, that's what I'm looking for because those always work better. Everything you've ever suggested over the last, since you started your podcast, has worked 100%. And and my goal is it should be easily accessible to you. Not that, not that I'm saying you shouldn't buy anything. What I'm saying is, is the ideal is that you don't have to. Certainly if you want you know, to go out and, and buy an herb, that's absolutely fine with me. And I'm you know, thrilled to see the herbal... Um, industry and the growers and the uh, the wholesalers and stores is selling more and more herbs. What a delight, oh, just, delightful it's, thing! It's it's wonderful. It's just flourishing, and I love supporting them. And I can't grow all this on my balcony, so I have no problem supporting them. So this is exactly. wonderful. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This this needs we need to change because just yeah. It is, we, so one year at them. my birthday, which is in early mm-hmm. February. And I had a party, and it snowed three feet the night before. Mm-hmm. And so I was dug a path from the driveway to my house and then put hay in it so that people mm-hmm. wouldn't slip. And when as I picked the hay up, there was a piece of hay coming right out of it, right at me, and it scratched my cornea. <sighs> my, I mean, my eye turned, like, blood red. Like there was, oh, it looked like there the was... Worst. Blood in my eye. It was so ugly, and it was all swollen. I'm like, great birthday party, girl. Don't you look charming, <laughs> right? And as I said, there was three feet of snow on the ground, but I knew where Chelidonia magus, an evergreen plant, grows. It's also called celandine. And I dug under the snow and got some and put it in my blender with some milk, some of the raw huh? goats, because I keep dairy goats. Blended it up, strained it well, put it in my eye, and my eye began to burn. And I thought, that's it. Now you've blinded yourself. First, you just were injured. Now you've really done it. <laughs> but in like fact, me. within a couple of hours, that scratch had totally healed. Wow. Oh, this is wonderful. So it, it, 
needs to be, so far as I know, mixed with milk. And milk itself is tremendously healing to the eyes. There's so an old samurai movie that starts with a fight, and somebody gets slashed across the eye. And he goes running into the inn, and the, uh, the serving uh, woman in the inn grabs him, throws him in her lap, pulls her breast out, and starts squirting milk in his eye. It's quite the scene. Wow. Well, they know something. They've been doing that for a long time. Exactly. Okay, so I can get some raw goat milk, which I have access to. And I'll mix, I'll just do all these things one at a time, see which is working. Isn't it fun to have choices? Yes, yes. And then see what, because everybody's different. So there's, you just gave me five choices and I can try each one. And, and that, okay, let's do that. And then I'll call you back and tell you how it goes. Wonderful. I love it. Okay. Now, okay. So I just have one more question. Because I know we're supposed to just stick with one nourishing herbal infusion, but I drink three quarts a day, and I know my body knows what it craves. It craves hibiscus in the morning, then sometimes for three days, all I want is red clover, and then nettle. It's it used to be a lot in the beginning, and now it's like okay, I know I can just tell when I need to make nettle, and I just make one quart of that, and I can tell when I need astragalus, I can tell when I need oat straw. I just know. So sometimes I'll make three different quarts of three different types and I know what I crave and so I'll drink that but I'm not going to finish it totally then sometimes I rush off to work and I'm like oh no I've got to take my um, stainless steel flask full of my nourishing herbal infusions and all I have is a little bit of this a little bit of this and I pour them all together now is it is it you don't want us to mix them because they interact and cancel or do or biologically react or is it okay if Every now and then I'm like, okay, I only have a half a quart of this, half a quart, pour them all in because I take a 64-ounce uh, stainless steel flask to work. Cause I'm let me sun. ask why you are drinking so much fluid. I'm so thirsty, and I'm in the hot sun. It's been this way, f- I think, for at least 20 years. My understanding drink- is that the more you drink, the thirstier mm-hmm. you get. Okay. And so you you have to adjust yourself, you know, for what you are, what mm. you are, and so on. But I will tell you that for the Green Goddess Week, I encourage mm-hmm. the women to drink no more than one quart of infusion a day. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, we are Maybe perhaps in a more moist place than you are, but it was plenty hot. We were sweating. It's like 100, it was 110, I think, today. Um, and you're out and being active and running around and doing things under the, uh, in the sunlight. I'm, well, I'm in and out of the sun, but I'm not stopping for at least 10 hours straight. I'm not stopping moving. And it's heavy lifting and in and out of the sun, in and out of the sun, on the bicycle, riding for very far, back off the bicycle, going, pick, emptying trucks, back in on stage, in, in, just everywhere. Maybe I have trained myself to drink too much. That's what I think. At least that's my experience. And the experience of everybody who tries drinking less is overwhelmingly positive. Okay. So then my question is, is it okay if I do, 
So let's just I'll I'll wean it down to one quart a day. But in the case of where you know, I'm, I'm not saying that you have to. But I'll I'm, work on it. Give it, get, you know, see if you're less thirsty if you drink less. There's kind of odd relationship that way that that <clears throat> your body starts to <clears throat> think it's supposed to be drinking and it's a, it signals to you. Um, one way that I was taught to judge uh, whether or not I'm getting too much fluid is if my urine is colorless, I'm drinking too much fluid. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch that. It's it's usually pretty normal, I think. Okay, right. So there should be, you know definitely like be a little crazy. yellow, or you know stronger yellow color to your pee. Okay. I don't know what you're mixing together, so I can't tell you if they would interact or not. But my take on it is, how many people do you like to get in bed with at the end of the day? <laughs> That's right. I remember this answer. Okay. I guess just none. <laughs> but none. So One? Your teddy bear? None. Zero. No. Bear? I've, I've been, no. I've, I've been single for, I don't know, probably 30 years now, which is just fine. It's just yes. easier that way. Yes. But then I can't have no... I'm just saying. Well, I'm sad. I mean, you don't have a teddy bear. Surely there's a teddy bear somewhere in the picture. I don't. Or the equivalent. I Sometimes just... it's an extra pillow. Oh, I have plenty of those. There you go. <laughs> I don't I, think yeah, I've I ever met a woman who really sleeps alone. You're right. No, I have five extra pillows. Okay, that, that yep. works. <laughs> so you like so, five extra pillows. Maybe you want five different herbs in there. I don't. In the same way that I don't want, a, you know, when people serve me food in which they've thrown like 20 ingredients together, all mashed up and cooked for a long time, I'm really like turned mm-hmm. off. Yes, I, I want, agree. I agree. You know, I want a bowl of cooked kale. I want a bowl of cooked carrots. I want a, you know, bowl of rice. I don't want them all smooshed together because I enjoy the different flavors. So if I was making many different infusions, um, I would, and I knew that I was going to be wanting to take it somewhere the next day, what I would do would be to just fill my thermos first. And then I wouldn't have to mix them. So I could finish uh, the cup from the last of whatever infusion A was. And then the next hour or whenever I drank infusion, I could finish infusion B and I wouldn't have to mix them together. That's how I would I'm handle. doing that almost, I'd say, 80% of the time. I'm just saying 20%. Sometimes things go sideways, and now yeah. all of a sudden, or, yeah, I, I, or I didn't, all of a sudden, I, I don't want to drink this astray. And I can't directly today. answer you because I don't know okay. what you're mixing together, right? Okay, you're right. You know what? I'm going to send my either. body and see. I but don't your body, so I trust you. Yeah, it really knows what it needs. And Good. then it's okay when I throw them all together once or twice a month. It's like, okay, oh. Everything went sideways. I didn't make them, and here's what's left. And I do freeze. I have a whole entire freezer in my garage just with frozen nourishing herbal infusions in case the power goes out. Now I have 
ice, and it's ice I can use. <laughs> that is so oh, smart. It's full. It's full. That it's is full. really, really That's hundreds great. of jars. And so if the power goes out, it doesn't matter. I have an entire freezer that's probably going to stay frozen for a week, and I can just pull those out. And then since I asked you years ago, how long could they stay frozen? Probably forever. So now I have a backup down there. So uh, if I have something, like if I know I need red clover for one week straight, I know that's all I'm making. And then all of a sudden I'll go, okay, no more red clover, but I just made three. Okay, down to the freezer. Uh, well, I strain them first, of course. But now, if the power fails, we've got <laughs> got enough. Wow! To... Yeah, that's the best thing I ever did was buy an extra freezer. That's the best thing you could ever do. And I'd use it for also just to, you know, I food saver all my foods when I cook in bulk, and then I can just go to the freezer and go, "What do I feel like?" And my body tells me, "Oh, you need a little yellowtail today, or you need some of that grass-fed brisket." Or <laughs> it's it's, it's it, so okay. wonderful, isn't it? It is. It's wonderful. I would tell everybody I need less refrigerator than I need free. I need more freezer. To the point where I've got two freezers in my living room and one in the garage, and it's perfect. And I live by myself. It's, there you it's go. Just right. Yeah, it's just right. Okay, thank you. You answered my two questions. You are welcome, Queen Blessings. Yes, and I will call you back with the eyes and let you know how each thing worked because I will try each thing. Wonderful. Okay, thank you, Susan. Green blessings. Green blessings. Okay, bye. Okay. The next caller is coming from the 718 area code. Hi, Susan. I'm having menstrual pain, like really bad, and I'm not sure if it's more from the endometriosis, like a flare-up. I had yesterday somewhat like pain, but it wasn't excruciating. And I took the St. John's wort tincture and it calmed things down and it helped. But today when I took it, you know, a few times, it wasn't really letting anything go. And I guess I'm grateful the past six months when I was, you know, since I started drinking infusions, I haven't had such a flare up, but for whatever reason it happened this time around. And I was just wondering if there's another um, herb that I can try to, you know, relieve me from this pain? Yes. There are a variety of things. Hypericum tincture, St. John's wort, also known as St. John's wort, um, is kind of often left field in terms of menstrual pain. And one of the reasons is that the uterus is a different kind of muscle than the muscle that hypericum affects. Oh, okay. So if you have a cramp in your leg, hypericum will relieve it. If you have a cramp in your arm or your side, because those are paired muscles and they are built up in a different way than the muscle of the uterus, which is not a paired muscle. So I have just gotten my copy of Down There, and I'm going to open that up and see what we can find here. Hang on a second. Thank you. And... 
Endometriosis on page 229. And Grandmother Grote says, You are making a mess of your insides. A bloody mess, in fact. Tighten up your act. Draw the line and get rid of those tampons. So we'll skip over step one and step two, and we'll go to step three. And it says that um, it's important if you have endometriosis to use only organic menstrual supplies and that eating red meat daily doubles the problems with endometriosis and two servings of fruit a day reduces problems and two servings of greens daily reduces problems by a huge amount, by 70%. Trans fats in the diet increase problems and two grams of omega-3 fatty acid from oils and from fish daily reduces problems by about 25%. So organic milk, meat, cheese, whole fat, yogurt, eggs, and butter. Um, And, in fact, restricted diets, which shun the supposed estrogenic effects of meat and milk, create a restricted attitude that does not help with endometriosis. So here's the help box. Every chapter has a little help box. Help endometriosis. Eat shiitake several times a week. Increase the amount you exercise. Love your liver. Try acupuncture and try dong kwai. Dong kwai is a treasured Chinese herbal medicine. It's in the celery family. Three months of daily doses of 10 to 20 drops of the tincture in combination with the same amount of white peony root or astragalus root, relieves endometrious pain as well as drugs with far fewer side effects. Herbalist Rosemary Gladstar says that she finds liver-strengthening hormone-supportive herbs like dandelion, burdock, vitex, and dong kwai to be very effective for women with endometriosis. Naturopaths tend to feature herbs like Vitex, there's Vitex again, Motherwort, Dandelion, there's Dandelion again, and Poke to reverse endometriosis and reduce pain, and Castor Oil Packs, popularized by Edgar Cayce, soothe the pain of endometriosis immediately. So there's a few things that might be of some use to you. And let's also go earlier in this chapter, I think. Menstrual pain. Here we go. Motherwort tincture from the fresh flowering tops acts quickly to relieve all menstrual pain. Its tonic properties strengthen the uterine muscle, reversing cramps at their source. After taking motherwort tincture several times, many women find their menstrual cramps never return. Life root, a little-known plant that grows in the forests of the northeast Senecio aureus, is used by women with 
chronic menstrual pain who also have nausea, headache, migraine, or very sore muscles. A dose is a mere 3 to 10 drops of the tincture of the fresh flowering plant, and it's best if it's taken daily between ovulation and menstruation for up to a year. For relief from intense menstrual pain, you might want to try Donquai root. It's stronger than aspirin, according to Dr. Janet Zand. A dose is a dropper full of the tincture taken daily from ovulation until menstruation. She says it's very good in miso soup. Side effects are less likely, and those side effects include nausea, breast tenderness, digestive upset, and increased bleeding. Those side effects are less likely when a peony root, astragalus, and or licorice are added to the donkwai. Give you a few ideas. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try that. And the stragulus as a tincture, or um, or any way is fine. Yes, any way is fine. Okay, great. I'm gonna try a few of these things. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Uh, Speaking of astragalus, I have just added that into my daily diet in a capsule form. Uh, It's actually a supplement to my CBD capsules that I'm taking. And uh, it's it's really a more... Let me ask you why most drugs are in the form of pills or capsules. Um, uh, uh, convenience, uh, storage. I'm not sure. Longevity. No, so that you won't will not digest it. So you think this is a waste? I will tell you that in general, anything that's been powdered and put into a capsule is the least effective, most expensive, and most dangerous way to take any herbal remedy. I I do realize that, and um, I I normally would not do this. Um, The reason why I chose the capsule... At the very least, open the capsule and sprinkle the astragalus powder on your food. Huh. Well, okay. Well, so I will tell you that when, I think it was Consumer Reports, but I'm not really sure. Anyhow, it was some consumer watchdog agency went to the big places that sell these kinds of supplements and yeah. bought a bunch of them and tested them. None of them contained the herb that they said they did. I, I do realize that. Um, this is from a company in Oregon. I, I, I believe they're a good company. I've had their oil. But uh, a friend of mine mentioned that it's not even going to work, the CBD, unless it's, um, uh, I forget the word he used, hyperbolicization or something, like lighten it on fire or something, I think. Why are you taking CBD? Oh, I'm taking it for joint pain. Um, Uh Is it effective when you put it on topically? Actually, I haven't tried it that way. 
Um, the very first thing that I suggest that people do if they have joint pain is to put the CBD on topically. It's highly effective that way. Yeah, and I just I'm trying to avoid taking uh, uh, oils right now in my system uh, because of a, a digestive thing I had. Which, by the way, I bought the sauerkraut uh, juice. And um, funny you should say, don't take the capsules because the probiotics weren't doing anything for me. But the sauerkraut juice, <laughs> which is live, that is working. I'm losing like a pound a day on this, and it's just totally transformed me in, in just like 10 days. So thank you for that. You're welcome. You know, when you actually eat a food, it's in your mouth. And actual atoms and molecules of that food get from your mouth into your lymphatic system. The lymphatic system then tells your liver and your pancreas what enzymes they need to produce in order to get the good out of that food. So when you actually drink a nourishing herbal infusion or cook with herbs in your food, then you fully digest them and you get what herbalists call the synergistic effect of all of the many different compounds that are in the plant. When you take that plant and you powder it and put it in a capsule, what happens is because your body can't digest it, it looks first for anything that's poisonous and takes those poisons out. And this is one of the reasons why people get into so much more trouble with herbs and capsules than in any other form. Okay, so I'm going to try, I'm going to get the... um the oil again and uh, make my own salve, or I can buy it in a salve form already. You can just put would... oil right on your joints. You don't have to make it in yeah. salve. Yeah, really, I know. I mean, it, it does stain a little bit green, but I'm not too worried about that. I'm not yeah. like a fancy person. I don't have to worry about things like this. So, Sounds um, good. So I, I'm, yeah. really, I'm really liking the thread of this conversation because it brings me directly to what I really want to talk about, which is pressing uh, wild, wild carrot seed, uh, or urtica, how do you say, doika? <laughs> I, I always mess this up. The Queen Anne's lace? Queen Anne's lace is Daucus carota, yes. Oh, Daucus carota, oh. Okay, uh, so I would like other plant to... whose botanical name we were saying was nettle. Oh, really? Oh man! Oh, excuse me. Urtica is uh, nettle. It, urtica means to burn or to sting. Oh right, right. And Daucus roda okay. is wild carrot. Okay, uh, and so I was I would like to uh, I think I would like to try and get a cold press because I have like half of, of a yard uh, full of this so it's speaking to me and now that I'm losing all this weight I have like kind of like cellulite and it said to make uh, the cold pressed car- uh, uh, Queen Anne's lace um, o- oil and put that on your skin so um, I looked at a hand, uh, hand crank one and then they have an electric one for a cold press did you have any recommendations on this at all? Well, let's start here. So far as I know, cold press means no electric electricity was used. 
Well, not necessarily. They have these cold-pressed juicers. They, they're called uh, macerating juicers. Mm-hmm. They, they use, uh, I don't know what they use. I'm just, I'm just going to throw words out there. The risk okay, of well, like that's, a fool, but, uh, are we like, suddenly switching horses here? No, I'm just saying. I was talking uh, about an oil, uh, uh, cold-pressed you know, oil. And now you're talking about juicers? I thought you were talking about pressing oil out of wild carrot seeds. Did I get it wrong? Yeah. No, you didn't, but I'm, I've never... Uh, Can you use a juicer for that? That won't no. work. No, but uh, they did list so a lot I'm of not electric exactly clear press juicers. Where this is going, so maybe I'll just drop it. Oh, okay. I just wanted I to... I thought uh, you were talking about a cold press oil extractor. I, I am. I am. And I said it cannot be cold press if there's electricity. And you, and you started you talking about juicers. Um, well, I just looked up and they did say they had cold pressed uh, you, any, you want anything. I can so, I can yeah. give you a, a, a brown bear and call it um, a jumping okay. jack. Well, I mean, have, have you I mean, ever it actually, tried? I'm talking about what the definition is. The definition of cold <laughs> press is no heat, and any I, I electric understand. motor makes heat. I understand. So they um, can call so, whatever they want, but what I'm saying is it ain't. Do you think it's worth the effort to try to har- Absolutely not. Heat? Without a no. doubt not. I think it's one of the no. craziest things I've heard in a long time. <laughs> okay. There is nothing that will make cellulite go away besides amputating your leg. Huh. In the thigh area, there are connectors between the muscle and the skin, which are like little strings. Uh Uh-huh. And they don't go away. Oh. And oh my. when the amount of fat tissue in between those changes, you will see increased dimpling. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But you can't make the connectors go away, and that's what causes what you're calling cellulite. Okay, then it's not cellulite because it's, what it is is like when I uh, was pregnant and gained like almost 50 pounds – you know, when I and I was losing the weight, my my skin did look a little dimpled. So I I thought maybe it was cellulite, but it, I guess it wasn't because it went down to normal. And the same thing is happening again now. I've lost ten pounds in ten days, and this is like at almost gaining over forty five pounds. That is so, so harsh on your body to lose ten pounds in ten days. I I'm really cry for your body to. that you're. Torturing I'm and not, abusing yourself so badly. I'm not trying to. Are I'm doing not trying to. You are very sick if you've lost 10 pounds in 10 days and are not trying to. Hmm. Well, maybe it wasn't 10 days. That is a huge red flag. To lose maybe a pound a day days. is an extraordinary thing. It's incredibly unhealthy to do it on purpose. And if it's happening without your intention, then run to a doctor. <sighs> No, I don't. I think I'm exaggerating. I don't think it was ten days. I because because I haven't weighed this myself. Weight loss is a pound a week. Right. 
Right. And I was gaining about about a pound a week. So right. It probably happened over a 10-week period, maybe. I just didn't all of a sudden just noticed, like, oh, wow, look at that, because I weighed myself, you know? Okay. But it really seemed like this. Because if this, you I think just, about it, what happens to that fat? The liver has to process it out of the body. You will choke your liver if you lose a pound of fat a day. Your liver will just yeah, flip over and give up. Is, I don't think a lot of it was fat. I think a lot of it was uh, water. And um, gas, I don't know how much gas can weigh, but... Come on, gas doesn't weigh anything now, does it? It doesn't? No. Well, when I get a tank of, well, I guess it's liquid, liquid gas, right? Yeah, all right. Um, oh, well, I don't know. I just thought, like, you know, a lot of back backwash um, matter in the intestines and stuff like that. There's no backwash in the intestines, I'm sorry. Did the... There's not? There's no backwash in the intestines. There's peristalsis. It goes in one direction. Oh. Oh. I'm not sure what you think is going on in there, but it's <laughs> yeah, digestion of your food. Fantastical uh, thoughts here. Um, right. I don't know. I, I thought You know, that's the kind of thing that is so dangerous when people take laxatives or diuretics in order to try to lose weight fast. They mess themselves up because they mess up their electrolytes. Yeah, I didn't do anything like that at all, just the cabbage juice. Okay. And I'm very happy with it. It's making me feel so much better. And, Wonderful. Um, yeah, Wonderful. my habits, my habits are, like, fabulous and normal. very, very good, and it makes a lovely infusion. You I'm just weigh out an ounce of dried astragalus root, put it in a quart jar, fill the I'll jar to the top with boiling water, okay. put a lid on it, let it sit out. Four Perfect. hours overnight, whichever works for you. You don't even have to strain it. Just stick it in the refrigerator and exactly. drink it I as really, you want. I really like this adaptogen. to me. An ounce of yeah. astragalus will cost you about a tenth of what a bottle of pills is, which weighs less than an ounce. Probably, yeah. So remember that taking pills is always okay. the most expensive way to get your herb. And again, you know, you seem to know the company that you're getting it from, and that's wonderful. But most places put the worst quality herb in the capsules because no one can see what it looks like. Yeah. So this it's another thing I have against. Third party test it. There's third party test it. I have against. It. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to go with the third party test it, and or, or something that's extremely reputable by herbalists. You know. There is no such thing. No. There is no such thing. No. We tried very, very hard to get laws passed to control supplements, and everybody was lied to and said that the law would prevent people from selling supplements, and people were freaked out that their health choice was going to be taken away, and so the law never got passed. And all the law was was it required things to actually have in them what it says on the label. Yeah. I remember all this a few years ago. Like seven it years was, ago or I, something. Over or, 20 years ago. Oh, oh, well, it just keeps happening again and again and again and again. Some Amish guy, they locked up big time for that. And uh, he didn't put one ingredient on his salve. And, uh, he was in trouble. So, well, anyway, I, I enjoyed my conversation. I bet you have callers waiting. So I bid you a good night and thank you very much. Green blessings.
The next caller is coming from the 919 area code. Hello. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, okay, I have two questions. One is um, agrimony. I have a lot of agrimony growing around me. Um, I'm not sure if there are many types, but um, I'm pretty sure it's agrimony. I don't know the Latin name. Um, it, do you have any um, remedies you like to use it for? I've heard that it's good for the liver. Well, let's start here. Okay. Although I know that you have heard it and that you will continue to hear it, plants do not have Latin names. Okay. They have botanical names. Okay, gotcha. And although those names are somewhat Latinate, they're actually more Greek roots than Latin roots. Oh, I haven't heard this yet. That's exciting. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I did in school take four years of Latin, and my sweetheart going to a Catholic school took actually eight years of Latin, and we will both guarantee to you that those names are not Latin. Okay. Yes, that makes sense. I not actually thought about that. But, right. yes, that makes perfect sense. So yeah. I call it botanese, that the language is botanese. But they're botanical names, I think, is a, a clear way to talk about it. And if you don't know the botanical name of a plant, then we don't know what plants you're talking about. Because okay. a common name is merely a common name, and plants share a great many common names. Now, it's true that there's not a lot of plants that are called agrimony, but mm-hmm. what makes you think it's agrimony that you didn't have a book that gave you the botanical name. I mean, if the book told you it was agrimony, then the botanical name was there, right? Yeah, okay, so good point. Um, I learned a long time ago about it, probably like nine years ago, from an herbalist um, who walked the land that I live on. And, well, it was probably more like 11 years ago, now that I think about it. But at the time, I wasn't very interested in herbalism and learning plants. And so since then, I have developed this interest, and I have identified it again, but I just now have just taken for granted that what I see along the edge of the field is agrimony. <laughs> so I need, to, I need to actually learn her name, uh, whatever her botanical name is. And, I, you know, it's that, I don't, I don't know, I can describe it from, my imagination, if that would be helpful. Um, no. It's that. No, okay. No, it wouldn't. No, I actually very much do not like to do that. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, would you prefer I just call you back when I, well, have, I, when I know the particular? I have another question for you. So, okay. what kind of herbal references do you have? Okay, I have your green, a green book. Which is a wonderful <laughs> book, but it's not really. Like a reference. Right. The herb yes, book, I agree. Lust, is a reference. Um, Native American Herbology by Alma Hutchins is a reference. Um, yes. I, I want those too, but I don't have those yet. I have okay. a couple of ide- identification books. Like I have the James Duke um, Medi- Medicinal Herb Identification Book. And I have one that is old. I think it's called the Herb Book. I, can't, I think it's a Rodale um, 
book that I got from, you know, a thrift store, but it's a really nice book, but it doesn't have good pictures. It has drawings that are not awesome, and some of the, the entries don't even have drawings. Um, and then I have Rico Check. If you're looking for a reference book, drawings are useless. Yeah, okay, that's how I felt, yeah. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter whether it has drawings or not if what you're using it for is a is as a reference. Yes. Right. So yes. And what I'm, get, I'm suggesting the, is a yes. herbal library have a few books that are those kinds of references, like Juliet de Berkeley Levy's Common Herbs for Natural Health. Is such oh, a reference okay. with over a hundred different herbs in it. One that I like that I have been using for most of my life is Indian Herbology of North America by Alma Hutchins, and it focuses on North American plants. Um, so there are plants in this book that you won't find in other books. Let's see what she has here. Agrimony called Cockleburr or Burr Marigold, found throughout Asia, Europe, Canada, and the USA, flowering in July or August. In Parkinson's Theater of Plants, published in 1640, there are seven varieties of agrimony. And they talk about um, where they are found and what parts of Europe. And uh, there is... Sweet agrimony and bastard agrimony and hemp agrimony and water agrimony and burr agrimony. The medicinal parts of the roots, the leaves, the whole herb, the solvent is boiling water. This is agrimonia eupatorium. And it is a tonic, a diuretic, and a deobstruent, an old remedy from North America and Europe for debility, tonifies the whole system. Great for bowel complaints, diarrhea, relaxed bowels, chronic mucus diseases, asthma, fever, colds, chronic difficulties in the digestive organ. It expels the evil dispositions, including the yellow jaundice, opens obstructions of the liver, loosens the hardness of the spleen. It is healing to all inward wounds, bruises, pains, and distempers. It has a gargle for sore throat and mouth, very serviceable. Recommended for dyspepsia. It should not be used when there is a dryness in the secretions. It is it itself is an astringent. John Hill in the British Herbal, 1751, states that agrimony was greatly recommended by the ancients but is very much neglected in present-day practice. And that was, what, almost 300 years ago. And I would say mm. the same thing. That it was uh-huh. recommended by the ancients, but still, still very much neglected in present-day practice. Country people give agrimony to their cattle when they are troubled with respiratory difficulties. Hmm. So that's what Alma Hutchins has to say about agrimony, agrimonium, if that is indeed the plant you have. Okay. And I'll say that I saw um, Robin Rose. A YouTube of for uh, about agrimony just a couple couple days ago, and oh. I haven't had the chance to watch it, but I'm sure it's it's good. <laughs> and oh, you're reminding great. me okay. to watch. <laughs> Wonderful, yeah, because it's flowering now. I mean, it's like um, 
just kind of, I think it's just finishing up flowering. So I will look up all those references. I've had the intention of buying a couple of the books that you mentioned, especially that Alma Hutchins book. And I just haven't done it yet. So that gives me the motivation. (laughs) The next step. Wonderful. Okay, then. Yes. Okay. One last question, if that's okay. Um, I would like, I grew some nice marshmallow and I'm wondering um, if I want to harvest its roots, should I let it grow another year? This is its first year, and it flowered lovely, beautifully, um, even though the Japanese beetles tried to destroy it. Um, yeah, when do I, when would I harvest the roots? In general, if what you have is a perennial marshmallow, and some are perennial and some are biennial, but if you have the perennial one in general, it is thought that perennial roots need to be at least three years old before they're medicinally effective. Okay. The flowers, however, can be harvested at any time. Yeah. And I could just eat those in salad and things like that, right? Yes. Um, is it the same for Alicampane? Should I wait three years? Because I have that in its second year. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. And that's okay. the minimum. Minimum, yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll okay. just do one plant. That grew really nicely for me, the alicampane. Yes. So maybe I can just harvest one the thir- third year and then let the other ones keep going. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Blessings. Good night. All right, well, we still have about six more callers with questions and just about 25 minutes, so we'll see how many we'll get to. The next caller is coming from the 484 area code. Hi, Susan. Um, I have a question about hand, foot, and mouth disease. My little boy, um, well, just started the rash, and I took him to the doctor because his throat was sore, and um, they confirmed it's hand, foot, and mouth, and I wondered what I could try. And maybe nothing, but I was just wondering what you thought. It's not something that I have ever dealt with. It is it a bacterial infection? It's um, it's a virus, Coxsackie virus, enterovirus. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Do you have Stephen Booner's book on herbal antivirals? Uh, I just ordered it at the recommendation of a friend, so I'm All getting right. it in a couple. And so, what antivirals do you tend to use? Um, echinacea? Echinacea is not really an antiviral. Oh. What what echinacea does is it builds the production of macrophages in the body, and macrophages work against bacteria. Hmm. So while while echinacea is very helpful to deal with infections from bacteria, it's not so helpful when it's a viral infection. So I'm going to go to Awesome, Abundantly Well, The Seven Medicines, and I'm going to go to Step 5, Pharmaceutical Medicine. And I have a series of pages here, Anti-Anxiety Alternatives, Anti-Anxiety Drugs, Anti-Inflammatory Alternatives, Anti-inflammatory drugs, antihistamine alternatives, antihistamine drugs, antiviral alternatives, and antiviral drugs. 
So I, first thing I say is read Herbal Antivirals by Stephen Booner. Sauerkraut. Sauerkraut is valued as one of the best ways to prevent and deal with flu viruses. A tablespoon or two of lacto-fermented kraut daily keeps one abundantly well. And the woman I was just talking to was talking about drinking sauerkraut juice. Mm-hmm. Herbal medicines that are antiviral. Elder. Especially oh. berries is a direct virucidal and protects against viral infections. It's especially effective against flu viruses. Hypericum tincture is my favorite antiviral. It's um, especially effective when the virus has something to do with the nerves, like herpes, shingles, those kinds of viral infections. It is strongly active against HIV. And um, so long as you're using it as a tincture, it's perfectly safe, but don't use it as a tea or in a capsule. Chinese skullcap, Scudinalaria bacalensis, a dose of two to four dropperfuls of the root tincture three times a day, alone or in combination with licorice, is the active antiviral used in China against flu, pneumonia, SARS, polio, viral encephalitis, meningitis, Lyme disease, hepatitis, and measles. Wow. There are antiviral compounds found in rosemary, tulsi, and apple peels. And I suggest this trio would make a lovely tea, but be sure to use organic apple peels. Mm. And then poke, phytolacca americana, uh, one of the few somewhat dangerous herbs that I use. Um, it activates the entire immune system to counter viral infections. And the fresh root contains a tremendously potent antiviral compound that, in a purified form, inactivates HIV. So those are the antivirals that I have listed in Abundantly Well, the new book that will be coming out this October. And, and the antiviral drugs, it says antiviral drugs must be specific because there's a bewildering, bewildering array of different types of viral particles and viral diseases. And then I have flu antivirals and herpes antivirals and AIDS antivirals just as examples. Wow, that's amazing. Well, I so some it's, of those not lo- it, it's not like that we can just say an herb is antiviral and that is effective against all viruses. Obviously not. That's why viruses are such killers, right? Sure. I don't think that hoof and mouth disease kills, though. Um... I think it's a non-lethal viral infection. Yeah, yeah. There's also a difference between, like, hoof and mouth and hand, foot and mouth disease, based on what I've been reading. One is only mostly uh, affecting animals or cattle, and the other is humans or, or mostly kids. Um, so, Does it have a natural course that it runs? Yeah, that's what the doctor said. I mean, they, you know, they they suggested, um, you know, Tylenol and Benadryl if he has pain. I mean, so far, knock on wood, I feel I feel like he hasn't needed any pain help. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's you know, I only noticed the rash today and the sore throat only started today. So 
So we'll see how, how things go. But I mean, the doctor says, you know, essentially we just can work with the symptoms and let, you know, let this run this course. But it's, you know, she said it's so common, although I don't remember having it myself when I was a kid. So I, I'm not sure maybe, you know, things change or whatever stuff becomes more common, but we'll see. We'll do our best. And uh, hopefully I don't get it if I didn't have it because I've read it's very contagious and it's harder for adults. So that uh-huh. Well, it's not in my Mosby Medical Encyclopedia, but it's 20,000 listings. So it's obviously not uh, all that Not all that common. All right. Well, thank you okay. so much. Okay. So much for your call. Green blessings. Okay. Same to you. The next caller is coming from the 720 area code. <clears throat> Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have a large hematoma in my abdomen due to an injury that hasn't resolved for quite a while. Uh, the muscle tear continues to bleed slowly, even as the blood is apparently reabsorbing. Uh, they're saying surgery to evacuate the hematoma is too high risk because of the possibility of bleeding out. So I need something to heal and seal the wound and, and sort of liquefy the clot at the same time so it can reabsorb. I've started taking comfrey leaf infusion to try to help heal the wounds and maybe speed up the reabsorption. But I need an expert opinion. I don't know anything about this stuff. Let me see if I understand what you're saying. You had surgery. Yes. And as a result of the surgery, there is a blood clot in the surgical area. In what part of your body? No, I did not have surgery. I had an injury. You had an injury. And yeah, that injury and caused in, a blood clot. Bleeding. But it's not, in the retroperitoneal. In retroperitoneal? Yeah, in that What does cavity. that mean? Where is that? It's, back, it's on the right-hand side in the back. It includes the um, kidneys and the liver and some other things. I don't know. And um, it's filled with blood now. It, okay, it does so not your liver is, uh, is under your rib cage. Yeah. Way up on your right side. Yeah, it's big. And that's um, where the blood clot is. Well, it's 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 15 by 14 by 8 centimeters. Meaningless to me. I don't do anything in centimeters. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, that's okay. Anyway, it's just really meaningless to me. It might as well be twenty gibbets by forty gibbets. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, let me convert it here. At any rate, I'm wondering. Do you do things the, in uh, centimeters? Does it, does it does that make an image for you? Yes, I'm sorry. Um, okay, so you can actually see it. You you are used to using centimeters as a scale. Yeah. Okay, since I live in the United States and we only use inches, that's what I'm used to. <laughs> okay. Well, what I'm looking for, like I said, I've I've read so much of your work, and that's why I started taking the comfrey leaf infusion. Um, but I'm wondering what else I can do because it's it's getting to the well, point I where. Well, I cannot answer that question until I find out what's go- really going on, and so far I haven't. Okay. Okay, the muscles, there are muscles involved. I'm still trying um, to figure out what is actually going on here. You were in some kind of accident and something smashed into you. Yes. 
or you fell on something. Yes. Okay. And that caused internal bleeding. Yes. And that internal bleeding resulted in a blood clot, which is laying around there. But the blood clot is not in a blood vessel. In other words, we don't have to worry about stroke. No. No. All right. This is very important for me to know, because usually when we're talking about a blood clot, we're talking about risk of stroke and death. So that's why I really wanted to know what was happening and where it was. So there's a large blood clot there, and you are talking about something that has been injured. Was your liver injured? No. Do you know what was injured? So far, no organs have been injured. Um, They've taken two CT scans and ultrasounds, and the blood is surrounding. They've taken them. They stole them from you? No, they did it with my approval. That's what Um, I thought. So you (laughs) agreed to and asked for two CT scans. Yes, I did. May I remind you that for every thousand TC scans, over uh, 20 cases of of cancer are created? Oh, well, I was aware there was a risk of some sort, yes. Okay. I didn't know the CT scans. Huge risk of cancer from CT scans, and they're wildly overused. Oh, good. I could see one, but why would we need another one? They, it has not gotten any smaller over several months. Uh Uh-huh. So maybe it won't ever get any smaller. Is there some danger from it? Are you in pain from it? Yes. You are in pain from it? Yes. Because of the size of it? Probably, yeah. It really is pushing. Is it the size of a football? Is it the size of a golf ball? I mean, I was hoping maybe you would share a little something with me about the size, but you just seemed to, like, think I was an idiot and so not worthy of being told how big it was. That's not it at all. Um, No. It's to visualize it. I, I I can't do the conversion in my head. It's at least... Well, I'm asking you to describe the size of it, the size of a golf ball, the size of a football, the size of an apple. It's at least a pint. Does that work? No. Oh, okay. Um, A pint is a liquid measurement. Oh, and it was liquid to start with. We measure liquids in in centimeters? (laughs) I don't know. I don't use the measure scale. Are liquids measured in centimeters? No, I said pints. A pint pint, is a liquid measure. Yes. That's at least as much blood as is loose in there. I thought you said it was in a clot. It is partly a clot and partly um, liquid. And it's, it's mostly clot at this point. Below your diaphragm in your in your belly. Um not the belly, just more to the side. It's in it's in, in the abdominal 
area. Everything between your pubic bone and your diaphragm is your belly. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So it's in your belly? Yes. With your intestines? Given that a heavy meal is far more than a pint, it's hard for me to grok the extent of this as a problem. In other words, a great many people could eat four times the amount of that and put it into their stomach and their intestines without feeling discomfort. So I'm still kind of grasping at trying to figure out why this is causing you pain and discomfort. Blood, it's going around, shouldn't shouldn't cause any direct discomfort. There is not normally blood in this area. Yeah? If your body didn't want it there after all this time, it would get rid of it. Okay. So it seems to me that your body must be very accepting of it. I certainly don't want you to be in pain. And perhaps a castor oil pack could help relieve that pain. Castor oil is surely one of the best dissolving agents known. And um, castor oil can be bought at the drugstore. It's usually in the baby section. And a some kind of flannel cloth saturated in castor oil and then carefully wrapped in foil before it's heated so it doesn't catch fire in the oven. And then unwrapped from the foil and applied hot but not so hot that you would burn yourself to the area where you want something dissolved. And that can be left on for anywhere from five minutes to as long as you want to leave it on. And it can be repeated as often as you want to repeat it. Mm-hmm. I had a apprentice here who had, um, it's called a baker's cyst behind her knee, and she applied a castor oil pack one evening and the next morning, and it was gone, and she'd had it for over a year. Mm-hmm. So castor oil is can be extraordinarily dissolving. And that's certainly a fairly easy thing to work with. And I feel mm-hmm. comfortable now talking to you about dissolving this. If it was a clot in a blood vessel and we were talking about dissolving it, you could wind up really badly hurt. And that's why I didn't want to talk about dissolving it until I really understood what you were talking about. What you said um, was partly the problem that there's so much blood in this one small area that it's keeping the... um, I'm not understanding that it's a small area. Well, I know, doctor. What is blocking it? What is blocking it that's keeping it in a small area? The retroperitoneal whatever. I'm sorry. I'm not understanding what you're saying or what that means. It's called the retroperitoneal space. Um, it's in the abdominal cavity behind the peritoneum. 
The peritoneum is near your anus, nowhere near your liver. I'm sorry? sorry? I'm reading off of Wikipedia here. I'm telling Uh, you, your perineum is down there by your anus. It's nowhere near your liver. So you told me this clot was near your kidneys and your liver. Did I get that wrong? Well, not about the kidneys. Um, I'm reading here about it. Anyway, I will try the uh, caster pack. That sounds like a great um, safe suggestion. Okay. And I thank, it, I thank it you very much. It is quite safe. And good luck. Green blessings. Thank you. Bye. The next caller is coming from the 360 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. So I'll get right to it since there's not much time. Um, I was out walking in the woods on Sunday and was either bit or stung by something. And if it was a sting, it was a lot sharper than any sting I've ever felt before. Um, I presume it to be a spider bite, probably a pretty bad one. So I went home and poulticed it with some plantain. And um, that quenched the pain quite a bit. Um, but then the next day when I unwrapped it, it was really red. So I marked an area that was about four inches by three inches. Uh, the bite is on my ankle. And um, then after that, I decided I would do kind of a stringent type thing with it. So I boiled some water and used some mugwort and some oak bark on that area and that seem to take that down and and now I've got uh, the bite area to about a one by two inch area but I'm wondering what additional things I should do to ensure I don't get infection or if this is like a brown recluse bite because I am in an area where those are common Um, am I doing enough to take care of it or should I I think you're doing great and I think the easy thing to do from here on is witch hazel. Okay. And let me see if that's easily available to me. I'm not seeing it. A current thing that was saying that brown recluses have been needlessly uh, kind of fingered and that they are probably not anywhere near as dangerous as people are making them out to be. But I don't see it, so I can't read it to you. Sorry. But um, in general, when there's a spider bite, the reason that spider bites are dangerous is that spiders inject something into their victims, which causes the tissue to die and slough off. Okay. So I think I used a suction, a snake bite suction on it. I'm sorry? I used a snake bite suction kit on it. Oh, my so gosh. You should never use that, especially for on a snake bite. On a spider bite? <laughs> it's thought to be extremely dangerous to use those suction kits. So far as I know, they're no longer for sale because of the oh. extreme danger. Uh-oh. Very it helps, though. 
Actually, the swelling went down quite a bit after I had the plantain on it. I used that because I could actually identify the bite area. Uh-huh. Um, after I was able to use that, I put some St. John's wort oil on there, and it like it calmed it down a whole lot, and the bite area uh-huh. got smaller after that. So I just, you know, I if it was some kind of poisonous flesh flesh eating spider, I wanted to be safe. Uh huh. Well, the, uh, what I'm told. I'm certainly no expert. What I'm told is that if you use one of those suction kits on a spider bite or a snake bite, that it's the opposite of safe, that it will spread it, it'll spread the venom. Okay. <laughs> because it causes tissue destruction, which then spreads the venom. And the best thing to do for any possible toxic bite is to isolate the area either by stay very still and not walking at, or moving at all. Mm-hmm. Or in extreme circumstances, by using a tourniquet. Gotcha. So the general opinion is that snake bites and spider bites um, are going to get worse if we do anything to them besides just lay low, elevate ice. Gotcha. And that there that the idea that you can get the toxin out is pretty wrong. That all you can do is spread it. Good to know. So it should, uh, do you think uh, like echinacea or poke root might be helpful? It doesn't sound like something terrible is happening to you. Okay. What I said I is I think witch is enough. Out of here, really. Right. Yay. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. All right, good. Blessings. Good night. I think we can slide in one more here, Rebecca. Yes. The last caller that we'll be taking before the guest arrives is coming from the 207 area code. Oh, good evening. So, to be really brief, Susan, do you think... um, I'm a migraine sufferer who also has seasonal affective disorder. And I was having migraines in early June, and uh, I increased uh, the amount enough to migraine, which last summer I did. And then I'm down from sleep a night to one or two. Is there any chance that this... This is what I've understood. I've been able to get maybe one out of three words that you've said. The word that I got was migraine. I think you said something about seasonal affective disorder. And I think you said that you might have a migraine now. Did I get any of that I do not have a migraine now. Luckily, I've been migraine-free. But I was having migraines in migraine early June. Free, so you don't have a migraine now. I do not. But I'm Good. trying to go back and diagnose because I had a big problem that I will not get into um, with my sleep. I was not the one troubled by this. It was other people. My sleep decreased from, i say, on average I would sleep five hours a night in June. But I was down to one or two hours sleep per night while I was treating um, these migraines. The hypericum could have had that effect or not. 
Could the Hypericum have kept you up? No. So the Is that what you're asking me? Could Hypericum keep you from sleeping? Disorder? I'm sorry? So Hypericum will not worsen seasonal affective disorder. It cures it. It could. It cures it. It relieves it. It gets rid of it. Well, so in the winter, I've tried it for my winter depression, and I wouldn't say that it was very activating. I will say that also at this time, I have uh, And what form taking, are you using it in? Uh, tincture that I make myself according to your instructions. Okay, good. Fresh and it's red? Plant. Yes, it is red. It's in red. Wonderful. Glad to hear it. And you're taking how much? When I have migraines, I've taken as much as a dropper full every 15 minutes for, you know, two or three hours. With Wonderful. And does that have any effect on the migraine? At that very high dosage, yes. But if I use less, it does not. That's not a high dose of of hypericum. And what I usually suggest for people with seasonal affective disorder is even as much as a dropper full every hour for the first amount of time until your body starts to respond to it. And many people find that the more they use hypericum, the more quickly their body responds to it and the better effect they have. And if there's time, I'd like to ask someone who just recommended to me, a, a knowledgeable person, that rhodiola, rose, is it rosier, tincture would be a good thing to use for seasonal affective disorder, and I had started taking one dropper full a day of that, um, because they said you could take it at any time of the day. Um, and so I'm... I'm well, I've never heard anybody use rhodiola that way, but it doesn't mean it couldn't work. Oh, interesting. I've seen this in a couple of books called The Boreal Herbal. I can't think of the lady's name, and I had teams in there. And our guest has arrived. Okie dokie. Wonderful. Thanks for your call. We can continue this next week if you want to call back and I want to welcome Leisha Berry. Leisha Berry is a 30-year veteran educator and practitioner in public schools, state agencies, nonprofits, and the business sector and in her international clientele where she mentors women leaders utilizing psychological neurobiological, and indigenous approaches. Leisha is a pioneer, author, educator, and speaker on utilizing the capital whole, capital brain state, I wonder if that's a trademark, to access ancestral memory and holistic approaches to health. She is the founder of the capital D Daughters of the capital E Earth capital T Project, a women's leadership institute, and the author of the 2016 number one international bestseller, I Am Her Daughter, The Healing Path to a Woman's Power. Her upcoming book, is the Aquarian Gospels, 
a guide to creating relationship in a partnered, power-sharing way. Welcome to the show, Alicia. Hey, Susan. How are you? So good I to am talk doing to you. quite well. <laughs> good. Good. What a lot of interesting things you are doing. I know. I'm a mess. I have a lot going on. <laughs> well, I'm especially interested in the Daughters of the Earth Tea. You know, I don't know where that tea came from. I think it's a typo. It's actually Daughters of Earth Project. Oh, um, just so. Daughters of Earth. Okay, got it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the Daughters of Earth. It's a, it's a multi-dimensional uh, platform for women who are feeling a deep calling and stirring in these last few years, especially to um, lead from the inside uh, and lead us, midwife us essentially into a new uh, culture, a new era, which I believe we can all agree there's something definitely going on right now. And um, I'm noticing that women are waking up in, in record numbers and, and really asking some questions that I haven't heard them ask in my 54 years. I know you've been around, you know, and heard these questions longer than I have. But uh, this, is, this is a, a platform for, to bring women together to showcase their work, um, to mentor women in the, the ways that they need, whether through group or individual work and through um, connecting them with other women around the world. Uh, we've been moving this uh, since 2016 when I'm Her Daughter was published, and um, I was so shocked and surprised at my good timing um, <laughs> because I published it prior to the election, and then all of these women's issues um, really seem to come to the forefront, and the book really addresses the uh, the culture and and our mother wound, you know, with each other, women with each other, with our mothers and with the earth. And so this is really a devotional movement to bring women who are who are waking up to their connection and relationship with the earth to to an expressive leadership state. So the Daughters of the Earth is a project. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that it puts on performances, gives loans, has a working space, publishes a periodical? Um, on most of those, yes. We're filming a documentary uh, series through lots of interviews with uh, women of varying um, uh, places in their journey in terms of what they're expressing into the world, their medicine that they're expressing. Um, we are supporting minority uh, businesses, women-owned minority businesses. We are, um, yeah, we publish a newsletter every month. We do live trainings, uh, a live women's circle every month, and have a, a curriculum library uh, where we're adding courses constantly um, to be kind of a warehouse or storehouse for um, training for women specifically who are are tapping into you know older uh, indigenous models of medicine, uh, but they're finding it primarily through an inner call and are looking for a place to kind of get an outer affirmation of what they're experiencing on the inside. But it's also paired with uh, evidence-based. Uh, practice in neurobiology and psychology. So we're, you know, firmly a foot on each side of the brain, <laughs> you know, 
uh, the, the logical linear as well as the intuitive imaginative and tapping in in a whole brain state to um, very old information that seems to be coming alive as a result of our connection with the earth. So if women want to participate in Daughters of the Earth, they need to be a minor, minority group? No, not at all. Um, we're, we consider, you know, women to be one of the, um, one of those groups that need the support as well as uh, women of different ethnicities and cultures and belief systems. Um, so, uh, no, it's, it's, you know, that doesn't, it doesn't mean that someone has to be um, right. of, of a different culture necessarily outside of the, it, it's, it's women and all women, but also supporting indigenous indigenous businesses and uh, African-American owned businesses. Um, we were hoping to get into some other, other areas too, but that's what we have done so far. And in supporting those businesses that I'm thinking there must be a website. There is, we, we have um, daughters of earth.com and then a Facebook group um, right on Facebook called the daughters of earth project. And uh, I've noticed a couple of copycatters since I <laughs> pulled this name together, was given this name. Um, and so it's Daughters of Earth Project with Leisha Berry uh, on Facebook. All right. So if women navigate themselves over to daughtersofearth.com or Daughters of Earth Leisha Berry at Facebook, they will be able to connect with you and see what you're offering and whether or not working in partnership and of some kind would be uh, something that they would be interested in. Now, that's a word that um, certainly makes my ears tingle, and I think yours too. You do a lot of work with partnership. Can you tell us about that? I do. I do. I mean, I the, the collaborative model is something that I really feel like we're born um, – with the capacity to do, but I think the culture definitely trains us to be more me focused and women in particular, because of the design of our brains, the biology of our brains, we are more whole brained in a, in a general way. And so we're more relational. And when we remember that we are all in this together, you know, whether we're working on a project together or where we're, whether we're in, you know, this, situation on earth where we're concerned about the environment or concerned about violence or concerned about the various things that are going on that if we work together um, that we're much stronger and so this idea of partnership really stems from um, what I really believe that we are designed to do in general is to be in community together and that this can apply to women coming together to do good work but also can apply to our sacred relationships our intimate partnerships and um, you know, even to be in partnership to some degree with our children and um, and elders and our community and work environment, you know, and the globe. That there's no, no end <laughs> where we can actually be in a mindful partnership. So partnership is relationship. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And it's relationship, as we define it with our work, um, the unit work and sacred systems, which is a, an aspect of the leadership part of Daughters of Earth Project. We talk about partnership as being 
um, a, a more intentional relationship. Whereas, you know, we can be in a relationship with, you know, our car. <laughs> we can have a relationship with our uh, our mailman, but a partnership is a more intentional, more perhaps more committed. Um, we spend more time there, a relationship that really takes more effort. And so through that lens, partnership can also be expanded into that more Aquarian model where we're looking to share power in that partnership where everybody has a voice, everyone has uh, the capacity to um, to have passion or creative input, um, to have uh, power and to speak, you know, their thoughts and that everyone gets to be affirmed in a more Aquarian partnership, a sacred partnership. And so that's our model about where we're going with uh, women stepping into a more expressive or leaderly um, state, but doing it from that sacred partnership perspective a shared power perspective. Yes, I just um, did the Green Goddess Week, and uh, we were not a huge group of women, you know, very a handful of women, um, Mm -hmm. a dozen, and there were a couple of situations in which um, there was a decision that had to be made, and they were really kind of, you know, struggling about how to make that decision, and somebody said, well, we should vote, and I said, in women's group, the lone voice is the one that wins. Mm. Mm. That's powerful. That's, um, I remember I, you interviewed me several years ago, and we had a really rousing conversation. And I remember being so um, impressed by your, your vision and your devotion you know, to your body of wisdom and work and how um, how. Yeah, you really do. You're a model of that one voice, aren't you? That lone voice. <laughs> you you really are such a model to all of us for speaking up about what we believe and what we feel and what we think. Uh, so I believe that. That's really it's a beautiful um, illustration. Yes. And, of course, my thanks to Grandmother Twyla, who, you know, gifted me, put on me the onus of talking stick so that mm-hmm. every day of my life I have an opportunity to do Exactly what you say, and I agree with you, builds partnership, which is to sit and listen without interruption to the people that I am with. Mm. Yeah, that's powerful. And that each and every one of us participates in the Talking Stick Ceremony, so each and every one of us has an opportunity to speak and is heard. Yes. Because that's the other part of the equation of speaking. The other, the other polarity is the, the deep listening, the deep receiving of that which is being expressed. So, more listening. Yes, yes, we need more listening in the world. Yes, I, I say that it is one of uh, the nourishments. The wise woman tradition heals through nourishment, and one aspect of nourishment is being heard. And a great many people nowadays do not feel heard. Oh, absolutely. The power of being witnessed and the power of being acknowledged uh, is something we talk about a lot in Daughters of Earth and the trainings about communication and how just sometimes the simple act of just being heard, as you say, sometimes that's all enough to make alchemy happen and for the, the oldest, most strident grudges to be dropped in an instant, um, just, for, just in a few seconds that can happen. 
It's amazing, isn't it? And, you know, to take that risk to actually share ourselves with others and then to mm-hmm. uh, be received without anybody trying to fix us or mend us or make us different or better or well. Mm-hmm. Yep, just to provide the container. <laughs> exactly. Provide the bowl. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> the, don't do a thing. Right <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. And then the Women's Leadership Institute is different because I think it's focused more on service. It's it's really to train uh, it's really to train and mentor women that are feeling that call to be of some kind of influence in the world. Who maybe they have been more introverted in their life or introspective and have been a little shy to come forward in a culture that really kind of rewards the extroverted style of communication. Um, It's a very loving and nurturing uh, women's leadership training program uh, where we actually really take that as our, as our model, you know, starting from that very introspective woman and bringing her gently into a place where she feels comfortable to express whatever it is that she's here to bring into the world. And that can be anything from, uh, we, you know, we have healers and, and that sort of thing, but we also have, for goodness sake, we have a CFO in the program. We have, a, um, we have an accountant. We have somebody who bakes beautiful bread. Um, she, you know, just all kinds of different things. Some people are working in the realm of family services and others are working in education. They're just looking for some inner leadership skills so they feel more comfortable bringing their good wisdom that they've been carrying but just haven't felt supported in bringing it out into the world, into the world. That's the whole idea with that. Wow, that sounds fabulous. It is. <laughs> a place where women can go to learn to be bossy. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> or as some or some wit said some years ago, we must stop calling little girls bossy after all, we want them to grow up to be bosses. <laughs> right. That's right. Well right. executive executive leadership skills or something is what I heard someone say, but it's really, it's really more, it's a call from the inside. And so many of us are, if we're on that introspective or introverted side, we'll tend to be quieter. And this is me, you know, this is what, what I have been, you know, working with in my life 10, you know, 10 years ago, I would never have been able to speak about this and would never have agreed to an interview. And, you know, so this is, this is some years of, of training this shy girl who has some really big ideas to come forward and have the confidence to to articulate my thoughts and to to talk about my passion projects and do it in a way that is kind and loving and invitational, but also powerful enough to be heard in a culture that tends to dismiss, you know, that softer voice. So, <laughs> so it's um yeah, it's it's a real project of my heart um, to bring women into the arena where they get to be they get to express their wisdom. They're good medicine. Very good medicine, indeed. Now, let's see. I think you're also working on something called Sacred Systems. Mm-hmm. That's the partnership work um, taken to a really interesting, very interesting model. Um, my husband and I and our two kids uh, took off in 2003 from our home in Asheville, North Carolina, and 
bought a used RV and, and toured around for seven years um, on kind of a, an odyssey, I guess. We were looking to heal our marriage and heal our family. Uh, my husband had worked in a, a corporate job that really took him very far away from himself. He allowed himself to go places that we kind of didn't know him very well anymore. And to pull our family back together, we did this crazy thing. And it was turned out to be the best thing ever because it, it brought us into 300 square feet um, <laughs> where we could not avoid each other and we couldn't avoid the work. And as a result of very daily work and practice, with each other and really learning, you know, how to be respectful, uh, talk about sacred partnership, you know, with each other, we learned this body of work. We developed this body of work that we called sacred systems and unit work. And it's really applying um, that shared power um, understanding along with a whole brain model, a left and right brain um, model to kind of answer to, you know, challenges and conflicts in relationships and also to really uh, appreciate the successes and joys in relationship and, and to look, you know, to apply, to apply certain um, protocol to where there are difficulties in relationships. So an example would be, uh, since we were talking about communication earlier, communication is one of the five big hotspots that we see um, that create challenges in, in relationships. And so the polarity there, of course, is the speaking and the listening. And so if everybody's only interested in speaking, then obviously listening needs to be applied. Um, if, uh, if somebody is very logical and not seeing the big picture, then somebody needs to bring in the intuitive or imaginative, the right brain side. Um, some people use words like feminine and masculine uh, energy principles, and, you know, we can see that in some ways, but sometimes that's distracting to use those words. But the idea being that every every partnership is a system, you know, everything is a system, and that if it's attended to in um, a in a way that honors all the parts of that system and all those parts are are respected, then the system runs and the system runs great. The system, there has to be agreement about what the intention, you know, is. There has to be shared communication. There has to be shared passion and heart and love, shared power and shared creativity. And in those, all those five areas, uh, we find that we apply this to relationships, you know, marriages, uh, families, and taking this now into the business sector and into schools, it's very intriguing to watch what this does with group dynamics to bring um, peace and efficiency for anybody, you know, who's gathering together for some specific purpose, which, you know, any system is. So it's it's really intriguing. We're, we're branching into this in a way that um, I didn't anticipate. Um, but it's really lovely to take it beyond just, um, you know, intimate partnership and family into, into, into environments where we think of they're very cold and sterile perhaps, but actually they, they're, they're starting to be open to this idea that we are interconnected and we are absolutely dependent on one another if we really want to get things done. That's that collaboration model again, that partnership model. So, uh, I think that JuicySacredLiving.com would be the place to go to find out more about that. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and I, we said Juicy Sacred Living because you can't not smile when you say 
So, what? yes, JuicySacredLiving.com. Yes, absolutely. JuicySacredLiving.com to find out more about sacred systems. And will that also help us find out about unit work? Yes, it will. In fact, we have a unit work retreat coming up in November, so people can find out all about that uh, on JuicySacredLiving.com. And would you give us a word or two about what unit work is? Unit work is, is taking the sacred systems to a whole different level. It's, it's, taking, it's taking the group dynamic and examining it um, from uh, a, an ancient model of collaboration that uh, takes into account ancestral input, um, takes into account how uh, each of us is part of many units and creates the climate in a unit, so a unit is another word for a system, but it's a very, uh, a unit is even a more intentional system, even a more intentional relationship or partnership. So it's, it's like which units are the ones that we are the most accountable to, which, which groups of people depend on us the most. Uh, unit work takes that into account and in how we create the climate in each of those and how that climate reverberates out. So it's it's a, another whole level of sacred systems. It's very interesting work too. <laughs> it certainly sounds like it. So daughtersofearth.com and juicysacredliving.com are two really good ways to get in touch with Alicia Berry to find out yes, about partnership, to find out about um, how she can help you be a bossy woman in the best sense of the word and <laughs> see what she's offering it sounds like a lot to support w- women entrepreneurs and women who have ideas that they can't quite yet figure out how to manifest is that true absolutely right you are right on wow we don't have very much time left but do you have a short story that you'd like to share about some transformation you've seen from this work? Oh my gosh, yes. I was just working with a client who is uh, another introspective, but deeply insightful. So, and aren't we usually the the introspective, quiet ones? You got to watch us because we're very good observers, um, very insightful. And um, she, boy, we we have only been working together for three months, and she has completely turned her. Uh, her life around. She is now out there speaking on stages, uh, small stages, small stages, but getting her message out about how women can be in, at peace with um, with their uh, worthiness and, you know, really believe that they're worth um, being paid for their work or being supported in their in their visions and their medicine. Um, she went from barely being able to speak anything to actually articulating her thoughts, speaking her truth, opening her throat, um, opening up her power center, and um, really speaking in a very direct way about her vision for women. Uh, that's just the most recent one I can think of. Uh, in the unit work, we have seen tremendous change in people in their relationships, you know, in marriages and their ability to be present as as parents with their children, um, yeah, it's it's all very it's all very good work. And the funny thing is, it's the it's ancient, it's old. And when you sit in front of this work and you actually listen to it, it's like you're remembering something that you forgot. 
And I think that's because it's a universal body of information and that we're just remembering it now just in time at a, at a time when really, we really need it. <laughs> we really need to learn more about collaboration right now. <laughs> Alicia Berry, find her at daughtersofearth.com and at juicysacredliving.com. We're down to the last minute of the show. What do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening? I would just ask everyone to remember our mother, the earth, and that there is there is no question that earth is alive and that there is consciousness intelligence of of sorts there and that she is communicating with us and the women are the ones we're supposed to be listening so let's listen and be her voice thank you susan so much for being on your show thank you leisha thank you for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients i completely agree with you this is ancient wisdom it lives inside us already and you're just ringing that little bell that says, wake up, wake up. You already know this so much. Yes, ma'am. Rebecca, we're going to keep on keeping on making herbal medicine. People's medicine. Feel people everywhere open the go. There's my medicine right outside my door. Green blessings, everybody. Lots of love. Happy llamas. Green blessings. Good night. <laughs>